to see each one of you with us this morning and delighted to have you here for our 24th annual Missions Emphasis Sunday. Our theme this year, I'm sure you figured out by now, is living bread for a dying world. It's our hope that even for a brief time today that we might uh, see the world as God sees it and as lost individuals around this world who are worthy of sending his only son to save. I hope you'll take the time to look at the brochure that's been placed in your bulletin this morning. First of all, at the very back, you'll notice that it has an updated list of all the missionaries that we support. I think this will be important for you and your prayers. If you'd like to pray for our missionaries every week, this is a good way to do it. It also tells you about each of our guests, and we're so Glad to have them with us this morning. First of all, of course, the, the singing patriots from the Baptist Bible College. They've done a great job this morning. We're glad to have them. We're also glad to have each of our missionary guests. Uh, Chaplain <coughs> Stacy Smith spoke in the 10 o'clock session. If she could just work up a little enthusiasm now, she'd be, she'd be okay. Uh, she did a great job. I appreciate uh, her enthusiasm for the prison ministry. Uh, Dick and Barbie Bass uh, are with us. They're deputation missionaries to Guatemala. In fact, this is uh, pretty close to the last stop uh, before they go to Guatemala. And uh, they will be on the ground when we get there with our team in June. So we're looking forward to working with them. Also uh, have with us this morning Dan and Rachel Smith, VBF uh, missionaries to Portugal, uh, Dan and Rachel have been part of our mission family for over a decade. I think we took them on for support when they were deputation missionaries in 2004. So it's been a long journey together. They're doing a good work in Portugal, and we're looking forward to hearing about what God is doing there. If you are our guest this morning, I, I want to thank you for coming. Uh, in this service, we make our commitments for what we're going to give uh, to missions for the coming year. Uh, we hope that you'll catch a vision with us for the importance of missions. But as our guest, we certainly do not make, expect you to make a commitment this morning. You're, you're off the hook. We're not asking you to make any kind of commitment today. So I hope you'll be patient with us as we concentrate on what we consider to be the most important task of the church. And that is the task of world evangelism, reaching others here and around the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, we're looking forward now to uh, Brother Dan coming and sharing with us about the ministry in, in Portugal. Would you come, Brother, and share with us what God's been doing there? You welcome him, please. Thank you, Pastor. Well, good morning. It's been a huge pleasure to be back here with uh, the church here. We've, we have enjoyed this church the last time we were here as well. Um, uh, you may not realize it, but having a warm um, a warm spirit and, and a desire for missions is a huge encouragement to missionaries. And um, oh, I'm sorry. Um, it's just the uh, yesterday coming in and visiting with the uh, missions team and 
and uh, um, visiting with the members here, uh, it's just a huge encouragement to us. The, the ministry in Portugal, if we had to um, describe it, would basically be kind of a spiritual desert. And if I, um, probably the best way to describe it would be in the sense of a, a testimony that we have. Um, we, when we first moved there nine years ago, we came into this little, little city. It's, probably, it's a city called Porto Alegre. It's probably about 28,000 people. We live just outside the main city. Um, we, have, uh, we get to know different people in the city and so on. And one family that lived down the street from us um, was an uh, American family, and, uh, which was kind of odd. Of all the, there's not probably another American family within an hour's drive of us. But just down the road was this one American family. And uh, the, the wife was Portuguese descent and had family that lived in Portugal still. And the father was from Florida. And we got to know their daughter. We first met her when she was 12 years old. She ended up spending a lot of time over our house. Um, we witnessed to her on several occasions. And, uh, but as she got older and went through, through high school, she became close to the gospel. Because once you get into high school, you're taught philosophy and evolution and the fact that we don't need God anymore. God's no longer necessary. And so that was kind of her, her attitude. Well, through a chain of events, she ended up uh, getting uh, um, school paid for, but in the United States. And so she left Portugal, first time for her to live outside of Portugal. She's an American with Portuguese citizenship as well. She spoke both languages. But uh, here she is, first time living in the United States, going to the uh, Kentucky University uh, in Kentucky. And uh, she'd been there for about two years. We hadn't seen her. And we were coming through that area, and we said, hey, can we come by and visit with you? And she jumped at the chance. She's like, oh, you have to come by. Well, long story short, we came to find out that her family and everything, um, she hadn't been able to visit with anybody since leaving Portugal. So basically for two years, she's been on her own living at the college and going to school. And she was not prepared for the American culture. And uh, so we asked her how things are going, and she says, I have to tell you, I'm very surprised. She goes, growing up in Portugal, nobody took religion seriously. Nobody took a relationship with God. Anything of that nature, it was completely unnecessary. She said, yeah, everybody's Catholic. And we would go to band meets, and they would, she played in the city band with my daughters and my wife. And she said, we were always, you know, involved in stuff like that. And the priest would come out and do things and, you know, blessings and prayers and everything. He said, Nobody paid any attention. Nobody cared. It was completely unnecessary. And she goes, you know, kind of long story, she was like, you guys were like the only ones that didn't get it. You know, that God was passe. And said, you know, you guys kept talking about this real relationship. She said, I got here to Kentucky, and you would not believe how many people have come up to me and wanted to share the gospel with me, invited me to studies, invited me to um, all kinds of activities for the purpose of building a relationship with Christ and, and praising the Lord. And she said, uh, that's just bizarre. And she goes, 
Even a professor at the university came up to me. To her, that's just, whoa, an intelligent, supposedly educated person who has a relationship with Christ and wants to share that, that's just completely blew her away. But what it tells us, it tells us the situation of what Portugal is in. Because that's by and large the testimony of most people in Portugal. God is unnecessary. And so it's been very difficult, the ministry there has been very slow. It's been very difficult because of this kind of attitude. But despite that, we found uh, success with uh, youth camp, especially with the younger. Uh, The church has been slowly growing. Um, About nine years we've been there. And uh, little by little, the community has warmed up to us. Uh, My wife plays in the band, and uh, we've gotten involved as much as we can in the community to the point, you know, where we can have serious spiritual conversations. Most of the time, they're very gracious, friendly people. But when you start talking about spiritual things, eh, I don't need to go there. You know, technically, on paper, they're about 80% Catholic, but it's just tradition. And uh, and so that is really kind of a spiritual desert. Um, but we're hoping that this next generation coming through, you know, materialism and the European Union and the new, you know, the new way of living is all coming to, to uh, uh, come to pass, but it's still not answering their questions. And so the younger generation, we're hoping, when they start asking questions, that they'll start coming to the Lord and looking to the Lord for their answers. Now, we have a short video. It's about five minutes long. It'll give you an introduction to my uh, family and the girls there. Um, Sadly, my girls weren't with us on this particular trip. We're near the last two or three weeks of our, of our furlough, getting ready to head back to Portugal. And we were passing through our uh, hometown where my mother and, my co- and their cousins live and everything else. And they begged us and said, oh, it's one of the last few weekends. Can we stay with family? So we said, okay. But the video will get a chance to show, uh, show them as well as the, the ministry and the camp ministry that's been going on there. We do have a few interviews. Some of our church members wanted to send a message back to uh, the churches here in the States. And so we have a few interviews in there. Um, some of them wanted to try their English. So, but actually their English is probably a lot better than my Portuguese. So, <laughs> but um, the accent may be a little different, but we've subtitled everybody. So even though they're speaking in Portuguese or they're speaking in English, it's all subtitled, so it'll be okay. So if we have that ready, we'll go ahead and play it. Smith, and we would like to show you what the Lord has been doing in the lives of our family and in the ministry here in the city of Porto Alegre. We have been very happy with our girls and with the way they have grown these past few years. They are all doing well in Portuguese schools and have a reputation with their teachers and classmates for standing for truth. We thank the Lord for their willingness to share in the work the Lord has called us to do here. Bethany is now in ninth grade. She enjoys playing piano and novo, reading, sciences, swimming, and crafts of all kinds. Alyssa is in seventh grade this year. She loves being with people and makes friends easily. She's playing clarinet and also loves reading and crafts. 
Annette is in third grade this year and is doing well reading and writing in two languages. She loves skating, horses, art, and anything active. She started learning French horn this year along with her friend Joanna. Through our girls, the Lord has opened many friendships with families and young people. We're glad to see them growing in their love for the Lord and in their love for other people. As a family, we've gotten involved where we can in the schools and have been playing in the city band for the past seven years. I taught English for a few years in the elementary as a volunteer and have been teaching French horn for six years. These avenues are where we've seen the most opportunity for friendships with families. For the past five years, we have been hosting a summer youth camp at a national campground. Kids from the band have made up the core of the group that come to camp, along with several friends from school. We praise the Lord that over the past five years we have seen 13 young people come to know the Lord as their Savior. Most of them have returned and some have brought friends. The camp has grown from nine campers the first year to 36 this year. Though there have been several that would like to grow in the Lord and have wanted to study more with us, only one has been allowed to come to church on a regular basis. My name is Bernardo. I have 14 years old and I got saved at the first camp when I had nine years old. Daniel and Scott showed me a lot about the Lord and what they told me about when we get to the heaven, the problem he helps us, everything. So I like to thank all the church in the US to make Smith family be possible in Portugal. I like to thank a lot. Despite these difficulties, and with the help of our teammates, Scott and Norma Edwards, we have seen growth both spiritually and in numbers. Olá, eu me chamo Ana Paula Mendes. Eu e meu marido somos membros aqui da Igreja Batista de Porto Alegre. E eu sou grata a vocês por apoiarem os missionários aqui, porque quando eu conheci a Igreja Batista de Porto Alegre, eu estava recém-convertida e era muito importante ter uma igreja onde eu pudesse continuar a minha caminhada. E foi graças ao trabalho deles aqui em Porto Alegre que eu pude continuar. É, também aqui na igreja de Porto Alegre, foi onde o meu marido conheceu a Cristo e, e se converteu e se batizou aqui. E somos gratos por isso. My name is Katia. I'm João. <laughs> Uh, we came here like a year ago and we love uh, to be here. Uh, I think we found a family here and um, I learned a lot about Jesus here. Uh, we are thankful to God to have this church here because we, we want to let people know that Jesus is real and Jesus saves. And it's important in a small town like this to have this family to, to inspire us to search for God and, and what He wants to do in our lives. And we are really happy. And we want them to stay with us in the news. Thank you for being a part of the ministry here in Portugal and for making it possible to bring the light of the gospel to a very dark corner of the world. With the Lord's grace and power, it will become a shining light.
Well, being missionaries and being a day of emphasis on missions, um, they kind of like us to speak about missions. So, um, and most missionaries, if we're going to speak about missions, uh, we'll take you to Matthew 28, which is always the launching pad. And I'm not going to be any different. I'll take you right to Matthew 28. Uh, so if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, and uh, while you're turning there, I want to kind of, why do we do this? And in more of a practical sense, why is it that um, we've came and visited the church, and the church took us on for support, and they sent us off to Portugal, and then we send letters back, and then we come back to visit and, uh, and talk about missions and give reports? Why do we do it this way? Have you ever wondered about that? What's, is there a pattern that we're following? And uh, kind of, that's kind of the question I want to look at this morning, is why we do what we do. And in the scriptures, that's the pattern we're going to look at. And on a side note, um, Portugal's really kind of a fun place to be in the sense of if you're a history buff, because there is so much history in the area. It may look like it's just pastures with sheep and, you know, little villages, uh, white villages here and there, but it's actually got a lot of history in it. Uh, from about an hour from our house, there in two different directions are Roman bridges that are about 2,000 years old, um, one of which, the first time I went to visit, they came around the corner and you went down this little valley. There's nothing around it. It's just green valley. And you look, and there's this arched bridge. And they, my father always told me, yeah, it's about 2,000 years old. It's like, whoa, can we go on it? Yeah, but you have to wait for the semi-truck. It's his turn. And it was like, what? And sure enough, there's a semi-truck coming across, and you had to wait your turn one at a time. 2,000 years old, and it's still the only bridge in the area, and you have to, for semi-trucks and everybody else to come across. They just recently replaced it with a modern bridge. But uh, there's a lot of history in that area. And as Americans, I think we forget the tie that we have to the Roman world. Uh, there's actually a lot in our life, in our daily living, and our lifestyle that we've inherited from the Romans and the Greeks that we don't realize. Uh, even to our fruits and vegetables, what you have in your, in your refrigerator. Uh, celery and carrots were actually introduced to England by the Romans. And so today we still have that. Um, if you're traveling or being clean-shaven, you know, having uh, no beard, that's a Greek-Roman thing. Very popular Roman thing that they made that popular. Um, but even like if you're traveling, going through the Roman roads, I remember a program in England that talked about the Roman roads and the settlements that were along the sides of the Roman roads. And they said, yeah, there was one place, it was actually kind of like a little cafe, and you would go in, and you could sit down and order something to eat, and it was more like a fast food place. And they said the specialty was they would take some meat, and they would kind of grind it up, and then they would fry this, and they would serve it to you between two pieces of bread. And it was like, now wait a minute, that sounds like a McDonald's. And it was their fast food. So even the Romans had that, you know. So it's my favorite saying in history, the more things change, the more they stay the same, you know. So, um, but with all of that, you know, you would think we would know a lot about Roman history. And one of the focal points that I like is uh, you had about 500 years of the Roman Republic, which is hugely similar to the way the United States operates today. And then you had a major conflict and a division, and this was Julius Caesar, the Ides of March, and Brutus and Cassius and all these characters from history, that basically divided and ended the Republic and began the Roman Empire, the influence of the Roman Empire. And that went on for another 500 years. And so there's a, it's a huge division in Roman history, Republic, Empire, divided there. And there were major battles fought that basically sealed the fate of the Republic between uh, um, Octavian and Mark Anthony and Brutus and Cassius and these guys. And uh, Brutus ended up dying at one of the final battles that pretty much sealed the fate of the Roman Republic. 
Now, with our history and our influence in the Roman world and everything else, does anybody have a clue or might know where that battle took place? Just out of curiosity. Now, some of you guys might go, he's a missionary to Portugal. It's going to be in Portugal. Does anybody want to step out and venture that one? No? It's probably a good thing because it didn't happen in Portugal. So, <laughs> nobody. Okay. It's interesting. I just find that interesting. Um, I'll keep you in suspense. We'll come back to that afterwards. So, why do we do the things we do? Matthew chapter 8. Let's start here. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the world. This is the marching orders given to the church. We have the responsibility of going, making disciples, teaching. But the emphasis I want to put on is in verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I find that interesting that he put that first. Before he gave the command to go, he said, First realize this. I have the authority to send. Um, Kind of give an example of this. If you remember way back when, the first Gulf War, I remember this. I was watching the news. It was fresh in my mind. I was in college, and um, it was towards the end of the Gulf War, and we had, uh, everybody was nervous. The U.S. troops actually haven't been in combat in Vietnam. Everybody's like, oh, it's going to be a mess. They're going up against the fourth largest army in the world in the desert. They don't, you know, they've never fought in the desert. It's going to be a mess. When reality hit, here you had the coalition forces, and once they started, they began to basically chew through the fourth largest army as if they weren't even there. And it was a complete surprise. Everybody was like, whoa. And it got down towards the end. I remember this conversation. It was on the news, and they were talking about it, and it was Schwarzkopf, General Schwarzkopf, talking to the president. And the president said, have you reached your military objectives? And he says, yes, we've reached our military objectives. And so then the president said, okay, then you may cease hostilities. And it was over. And I find it interesting. The assembly, the army that was there was huge. The coalition of all these nations was huge. And they were mowing and just chewing through the fourth largest army as if they weren't there. All came to a point where one man said, we're done. You can stop. And it stopped. That's authority. That's power. And it came down to that moment. He gave the order, and everybody ceased. So I think it's interesting here, before he gives the command to go to the church, he first tells them, I have the authority to send. Therefore, go. So this is the marching orders given to the local New Testament church. Well, let's go over to a little local New Testament church and see what they're doing. Move over to Acts 13. Acts 13. This is a little local New Testament church in Antioch. If you're in Jerusalem and you go north up towards modern-day Syria, uh, you run into that region, um, and also lower Turkey, the bottom end of Turkey, you're running into the area of Antioch where the, the church was. Okay, And then we have a local New Testament church, and let's see what they're doing. Um, that's Acts 13, verses 1 through 5. 
Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, and Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had also John to their ministry. So we come to a little local New Testament church. They're gathered together. They're ministering to the Lord. The Holy Spirit comes and says, oh, these two people here, separate and send them out. I have a work for them. So the church goes, okay, and sends them. And in English, you'll see the word sent used twice. Uh, in the original language, there's actually a subtle difference between the two. You have the, uh, the church um, using the word sent, and you also have the Holy Spirit using the word sent. Uh, one is more of a releasing, one is more of a command. Uh, to give you an example of this, uh, if I had, uh, for example, if my, my wife was in the kitchen with one of my daughters and they were working, and they were doing something, some project in the kitchen, and I, uh, and I heard the mailman go by. So I, I yell out and say, my uh, daughter Bethany is in there, and I say, hey, Bethany, I just heard the mailman. Can you go out and check the mail for me? Well, her first reaction would then be to look at my wife, because she's in there working with my wife, and go, Dad wants me to go do this. Can I go do this? And she says, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead and go. Well, that's what the scent means. The first scent the whole, with the church is my wife releasing her from her responsibilities and letting her go. She's sending her by releasing. To do what? To follow the command. I gave the command, go do this. And so the Holy Spirit, then that's the command to go. And that's what we find here. We find the command sent or the sending from the Holy Spirit. It's a command form more of saying, go do this. And then the church is going, okay, we recognize that. Release them from the responsibility and then send them out. And that's what's happening here. And so what are these two persons going to do? What are they going to they, You see them going outside the geographical influence down the road of that little church in Antioch to preach the gospel, to living, the living bread. And so it's very, very simple. They go outside the geographical influence and start preaching. And ultimately, the goal is to assemble another local New Testament church by which this then happens all over again. And so Paul, we have an example of this in, uh, in Acts uh, 16, where Paul establishes one of the first churches that we have record of uh, in Europe. And that's in Acts 16. Acts 16, verses uh, 11 through 40. It's a lot of verses. We really don't have time to read it. But I'll kind of just go paraphrase through it or uh, give the rundown on what happens. Paul leaves Antioch. He's, they're, they're on their journeys. They're going. They go up into Turkey. And Paul has the idea of going east and preaching the word and taking the living word out. But the Holy Spirit comes and says, no, 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 no. I want you to go the other direction. I want you to go over into Greece or Macedonia. And this is where he receives the Macedonian call. And he goes over. He goes, well, okay. Well, Macedonia is the northern region of Greece. Basically, in the Mediterranean, you have two peninsulas that come down into the Mediterranean. One's a boot. That's Italy. And the other one's right next to it. It's another peninsula, and that's Greece. The northern area is called Macedonia. And this is where he receives the call. So he goes over into Macedonia. And uh, the first principal city he comes up on is Philippi. And this is what 
this is what this passage is about. He comes into Philippi, and he's looking for people to minister to and open to the gospel. He runs into Lydia, the seller of purple, um, and then uh, he has, she has a, her whole uh, family gets saved. And they're having a good time there. And so he's back and forth through the city, visiting with her. And every day he passes through the marketplace. Now, as he passes through the marketplace, he runs right by a lady who is demon-possessed. Well, there's a group of guys who are making money off of this, this lady from Seuss thing. And so every time he, pa- uh, he passes by, this demon yells out and goes, those are the servants of the Most High God. They're here to show us the way of salvation. And this happens day after day. And finally, Paul gets mad and gets, so I'm done with this, and casts out the demon. And you kind of wonder why. You know, he was telling everybody exactly who Paul was. But I imagine she was doing this in a very mocking fashion. And Paul got tired of that and cast the demon out. Well, if you read further in, you find out that the guys that were making money off of her were really upset. Because now they're no longer making money off a Sioux thing. And so they, they drag Paul in before the, the, uh, the city leaders and the magistrates. And they beat Paul and then they throw him into prison. And so Paul now is in prison. And uh, in the middle of the night he has this really good um, reputation in prison. They're singing and they have apparently made an impression on the, the guard. Because when they have an earthquake and everybody normally escapes during the earthquake when the gates are all open, Paul stays. And so through this he ends up having a ministry to uh, the prison, uh, the head of the prison. And he gets saved, and his whole family gets saved. This is actually one of the first records we have of a prison ministry in real life. Here it goes. And so now Paul is back in prison. The next day, the leaders come back and say, okay, we're done with you, Paul. You can, get, you can leave. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. Not so fast. You beat me without a trial, and you threw me in prison. And now you just want me to leave. Do you realize I'm a Roman citizen? That's not lawful to do. And all of a sudden you see the attitude of the leaders change. Now wait a minute. We didn't know you're a Roman citizen. See, that's Roman law. A citizen cannot be punished without a trial. And so now their whole behavior changes. They're all panicky. Oh, Paul, we're so sorry. Can you just leave town and forget it ever happened? You know, see, Philippi was a Roman colony. They were given the honor of privileges and rights as a Roman citizen, like that they were in Rome. But see, they're in Greece. And so they were given this status, and it's a high honor. And so if they're not following Roman law, guess what? You're going to have Roman officials showing up going, why, are, why did we give you this honor, and then you're not obeying the laws? And so they're really antsy for Paul just to forget about this. Well, Paul ends up forgetting him. He says, okay, that's fine. I'll go ahead and leave town, and we'll forget it happened. And he goes. And you kind of wonder, why? Why would he do that? Well, now he's got this group of believers, this first little church that he's established there in Philippi in Europe. And I doubt if the city officials are going to want to mess with him because they don't want Paul writing a letter going, hey, while I was visiting Philippi, this is what happened. And so this little new church now is kind of got a little bit of time before they're going to receive any persecution. And so Paul does this, and he, and he goes on. That was one of the first uh, stops he made in Europe on the peninsula of Greece and establishes his new church in Philippi. From there, he goes south to places and cities like Thessalonica, and we have letters that he wrote back to this location. 
and he goes down to Athens and preaches on Mars Hill, and then from there he goes even further to Corinth, and he preaches there, and we have letters back to there. And he goes off on his missionary journeys. Now, kind of a quick review. You have the marching orders given to the local New Testament church. Matthew 28, go ye. That's the marching orders. So we come to a little local New Testament church. The Holy Spirit comes and says, separate these two out for a ministry I have for them. And so the church releases them and sends them out. What do they go do? They go to another geographical location outside the influence of that first little church to preach the gospel and hopefully start another local New Testament church. Very, very basic, simple, straightforward. That's what they're doing. Now, it's very easy to say that. Yep, we're going to go do that. It's another thing to make it happen. Um, For example, uh, when I was in high school, I had a... Uh, an old rusted-out car that sat in our front porch, literally almost in our front porch. It was right on our front driveway out of our front door. It belonged to my uncle. They bought it and took the engine out. One day I decided, hey, can I have that car so I can fix it up in high school? And I ended up buying it from my uncle, and uh, I ended up started working on that, and I spent probably three or four years in high school. My whole high school existence, basically, was working and fixing up that car. I had it done two weeks before I had to ship it to California where I drove it across country to Bible college, and I got it done. My, my dad was, um, actually got in trouble with the family because they were like, You're, he's wasting his time and money doing this. And, uh, but my dad was like, no, 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 this will be good. This is good for him. And I got a couple things out of that car. I had this wonderful relationship with my dad working on the car, fixing it up. And then I learned a little bit about auto mechanics. But the biggest thing I learned was not anything about auto mechanics. The biggest thing I learned was how much money it took to do the project. I ended up working from age probably 13 to when I graduated 18, and every dime I made went into the bank. Because the more and the more I researched, the more and the more I figured out how much things cost. And by the time I was done, the biggest thing I learned was how to handle money to be able to finish this project. And that's, you know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to fix that car up. It's a whole other thing to pay for it. So here's the question. Paul's doing this. He's going on his missionary journeys. How's he paying for this? This is the practical side of it. How's this working? Well, we have a little bit of information about that, and that is in 2 Corinthians Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Now, why do we have these verses? Well, Paul visited Philippi. He went down to Corinth, visited Corinth, and then he moved on to other areas in his missionary journeys, and he would write letters back to the places he, that he had been working at. And so here's a letter, 2 Corinthians, back to the church at Corinth. Okay? And it's interesting because it appears that somebody complained about Paul's presence when he was originally there. And, the original, and it seems like the complaint was about money. And so here's Paul in verse, uh, in verse 7. He stops and goes, oh, and by the way, and it seems like he's answering this complaint. And so it's really interesting how he, how he handles this complaint. Verse 7 of chapter 11, 2 Corinthians. 
Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. So here's Paul. Oh, and by the way, to whoever complained about money, remember this. When I was there working with you, I took nothing from you. I worked for you freely. So don't come to me and complain about money. And if you want to know the truth, I took it from other churches. Even uses the terminology. I robbed other churches. I took wages of them so that I could do you service there in Corinth. So don't come back now and say, oh, and by the way, you know, yeah, Paul took all this money from us and so on. That is not true. Which is exactly what we do as missionaries when we go and go into Portugal. We take nothing from that country. We go in and bring money in. We live there. We pay rent. We do all these things. To the, to the government, we're a good thing because we add to their economy without taking anything. And then even our people and the, and the church that we're trying to get established there, hopefully to one day be on its own and doing its own thing, we don't take anything from it. We put into it so we can get going and get on its own feet. And this is what Paul's doing. And he, he goes back to the Corinthians and says, don't do this. Don't complain to me about money. Because we'll go back and look at the facts, and this is the way it was. Now, he references the churches in Macedonia. Well, it's interesting that he mentions that because they have a reputation for giving. And if we go back a few chapters, we can see what their reputation was for them. And it's interesting that he brought them up. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, you've got to ask yourself the question, Okay, before we read these verses, why do we have these verses? Well, basically during this time period, there was a famine that was going on in the area of Judea, Jerusalem area. And you remember, the early church there was like 20,000 people at one point, and then persecution split them, and they all went and scattered all over the place. Well, now you're finding the churches and the people that are still there are suffering under famine and so on. And so they had gotten together, the officials, the church leaders and stuff had gotten together and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take up an offering over the course of a year, and we're going to save this up, and then we're going to go and we're going to take it to the region of Judea and spread it out and help alleviate the suffering. And that's what they were doing. And so Paul is making reference to this offering, and he's talking about how the Macedonians have been involved in this. And it's very enlightening. So chapter 8. Uh, verse 1, and we'll go through to 5. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia, that's northern region of Greece, that's Philippi, Berea, this area. How that in great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For, to their, uh, for their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So here's Paul's, Paul's testimony of this church. He goes, oh, and by the way, the Macedonians have gotten this. And he's, why is he 
talking about the Macedonians to the Corinthians. Well, apparently the Corinthians were lagging on what they had promised and what they had done. And so he's using the Macedonians to encourage them. Well, okay, if you understand Macedonia and you understand uh, the cities there, that was a poor agricultural region. Corinth was a wealthy town. Corinth didn't have money problems. If you look on the map and you follow Greece down the peninsula, it gets to a point where it's real narrow, and then it opens up and comes back out again. That's the peninsula of Greece. That narrow spot is where Corinth is located. Corinth had a huge industry. See, what would happen is is they would come and they would bring the ships into that narrow spot, and they would take the cargo off the ships and load it and go over this little narrow spot and load it on the cargo ships on the other side, and it would save weeks of sailing. It was much more inexpensive to do that than it was to sail all the way around. Sometimes, depending on the size of the ship, they would put the ship on rollers and roll the whole ship over this little narrow. To this day, if you go there today, there is a canal built through there. Cargo ships pass right through it. Corinth was located there. They were making money off of this. They were a wealthy town. They didn't, and it stands the reason that the church was a little bit wealthier. It stands the reason the people there had a little bit more money. And so here's Paul using the poor Macedonians going, they've got it. They've given themselves over to the Lord, and their giving is just a byproduct. And he said they've completed everything that we could even hope for and more. And he even says they've given beyond their power. He's kind of encouraging the Corinthians. Okay, come on. You know, we've talked about this. You guys have agreed to this, and you're lagging. So, you know, pick up the pace a little bit. And he's using the Macedonians. This is where we get a lot of our foundation for faith promise. The planning for a year ahead and taking up an offering towards that. And, and then also giving by faith. Because it talks about the Macedonians gave beyond their power. This is faith. This is what was going on. So it's interesting that the Macedonians are the ones that Paul went to to encourage the Corinthians. See, Paul had a really close relationship with the Philippians. And most of what we understand about a relationship between missionaries and a church comes from the relationship Paul had with the Philippians. And so if you turn with me to the book of Philippians, we'll look at this. Now, with anything in Scripture... My favorite, my favorite phrase is, you've got to come back, and why do we have these verses? Why was this written? What was the situation at the time? Okay, so Philippians. Why do we have Philippians? Paul had come. He got the Macedonian call. He went to Philippi, started that little church there, went down to Thessalonica, and, th- and then went down to Corinth and these different places, then went on his missionary journeys. Now we're like some ten years later through his travelings back and forth. He finds himself in Jerusalem. He gets in trouble with the gospel. He doesn't think he's going to get a fair trial. He pleads his case as a Roman citizen to Caesar and says, if I want to, I can be tried by Caesar. So he does this, and he ends up a prisoner in Rome, waiting to visit and plead his case before Caesar. Now, the church at Philippi hears about this. This is a low spot in Paul's life. He's not free. He's a prisoner. And this church finds out where he is, and their first thought is is to take up an offering and send somebody to minister to his needs. And here's Paul 
in prison, and the first person that comes and knocks on his door is this little church at Philippi. And they bring him an offering. It says, we're here to serve you. We're here to encourage you. Paul is so blown away. He ends up penning the book of Philippians and sending it back. And this is where we get the information and we understand the relationship between missionaries and a church is through this letter. Uh, Chapter 1. I'm sorry, I flipped over to Philemon. (laughs) So Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. Even as it is uh, meet for me or right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds, being a prisoner, and in defense uh, defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye ye all are partakers of my grace. First thing about missionary in a church... They are partners. Paul brings them in and says, you are my partners here in the ministry that I'm doing. Verse 13, so that, in, uh, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. I know you guys heard that I was in prison, but don't worry about it, because guess what? I get to preach the word of God to the palace and to Caesar. Turn with me to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care of me has flourished again where you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. During the 10 years of gone, it was easy to lose track of people, and we think this is what happened. During times, they lost track of Paul, didn't know where he was, and then they found out that he was in prison in Rome, and they went immediately to him. And so he's referencing this. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be a base and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving but ye only. No church. When Paul left off on his missionary journeys and started off, there was only one church that was supporting him. It was the church of Philippi. Now, of all the missionaries that come across your doorstep, you would think Paul would be a no-brainer. We've got to support Paul. But Paul makes it here and goes, No church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all, I abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now you'll hear that verse used a lot. My God shall supply all your needs. But do you realize the technical context of that verse? That verse is written to a church that's supporting a missionary. 
in reference to an offering that was sent. Not just anybody can claim that verse. That verse, you can claim that verse. That's your verse. In the strict context, that belongs to you. And so here's Paul telling them, we are partners. And did you realize churches have accounts? And he says, all this is going to your account because we are partners. And then in the very end, my God shall supply all your needs. And thanks them because he goes, you know what? In the beginning of this, you're the only ones that got it. And here we are 10 years later. And the first thought that, that church had was to go to their missionary's need. Go to Paul's need. Well, this is what we have. Review. Matthew 28. Go ye. Give into the church. We come to a little local New Testament church. What are they doing? They're ministering to the Lord. The Holy Spirit says, send these two out. What do they go do? They go to start another local New Testament church. Spread the gospel. Preach the word. How is this made possible? They're taking wages and from local New Testament churches. All for the benefit of starting more local New Testament churches. Now you would think, okay, missions, we're missionaries, we're up in front. Um, you send us, we're your partners. But really, missions is almost, it's less about the missionary and more about the local church. It's everything about the local church. Who was given the marching orders? Local church. Where did God get the missionaries? The people to send out. Local church. Who sends them and, and makes it possible for them to go out? The local church. All for the benefit of what? Producing more local churches. More assemblies. And then who gets the rewards? The local church. It's all about God's assembly. It's all about his believers. Here's, here's an interesting Remember when I asked you about where that battle took place? Roman history. Pivotal point in Roman history. We don't have a clue. I didn't have a clue until I was made to study it. That battle, those major battles that took place that divided Roman history and the Roman Empire took place in the mountains of Philippi. Brutus, who killed Caesar, died by his own hand committing suicide in the mountains of Philippi. The reason why Philippi was a Roman colony was because Octavian and Mark Anthony, when they came in and they conquered this and they, they gave this, this privilege to the city as a reward, and it was some hundred years later that Paul shows up as a missionary coming through and uses that status to his advantage. Here we are 2,000 years later. Do we know anything about that city? Anything about the role they played in history? Anything about the political leaders who were there? Anything about their industry, we know nothing. They've disappeared to history. Yet, 2,000 years later, here we are studying in Scripture a little assembly, probably no more than 20 or 30 people. And God preserved Paul's letter, put it in Scripture. Why? Talk about the relationship between Paul, missionary, and Philippi, the church. 
And here we are 2,000 years later, whether we realize it or not, we are doing the exact same thing. You have a wall of missionaries, all of which came from local churches where the Holy Spirit said, send these two out. The church released them from their responsibilities. They went out to do what? Start more local churches, preach the gospel, have ministries outside the geographical influence of their first church. All for the purpose of repeating the process and continuing on. And we've been doing it for 2,000 years. Cultures come and go. Languages come and go. Governments have come and gone. Empires have risen and fallen. But God church, God's church continues marching on. And I guarantee you tomorrow our country could collapse into a complete ash heap. And out of that mess, God would gather his believers. They would form up. They'd begin to minister. The Holy Spirit would come say, send. They would go, and the whole thing would continue to go again. Guarantee it. Why? Because it's been going on for 2,000 years. Rome is gone. Nations that have persecuted the gospel have, are gone. Yet here we are. And that little assembly in Philippi completely outshined Roman history. 2,000 years later, we know what they were doing. We don't have a clue about any of the emperors, per se, that had anything to do with Philippi. But that little church, God saw, not Philippi, not the political leaders, not the major industry. God looks at his assembly and what they're doing. And that was important to him. One of the greatest privileges we have as missionaries is to be able to come back and basically try to be an encouragement to you. Thank you for taking it seriously. Thank you for being a part in that. I've seen your missionary wall with all the letters and missionary letters and the influence that you have all over this world. Thank you. That's what this relationship between Paul and Philippi was all about. And this will continue for another 2,000 years if God tarries. How is all this possible? How does this work? Two things. The Macedonians and Paul's definition of the Macedonians giving, they first gave themselves. And then giving was beyond their power. They didn't give what they didn't have. But they gave themselves over first. And then the rest of it worked itself out. And they were willing to be involved. They were involved where nobody else was. And you had bigger, wealthier churches. And, and Paul's using the Macedonians to, okay, come on, Corinth. Pick the pace up a little bit. You guys are dragging here. You didn't get it. But this will go for another 2,000 years until God says, and you go back to the very beginning, Matthew chapter 28, I have all power. And until he gives the order, stop, we're done, and calls the church back, it will continue 
It will not stop. Irregardless of what our government does, irregardless of what the international community does, we will continue to go until he says, we're done. Come home. So from us as missionaries, thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. Thank you for taking, taking it seriously. And as pastor comes or the uh, men come, we just pray that we can continue to bring in more fruit to your account. And when we leave, our prayer is that we'll leave an independent local church that will begin to function on its own, and they'll do it again over again. All for the purpose of presenting the gospel. All for the purpose of taking that living bread. Thank you. Well, I don't know if we have ever stopped to realize, but two of the most precious promises that we're given as Christians, the promise of God's presence and the promise of God's provision are both tied to carrying out the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, he says, go ye into all the world, but also ends by saying, and I will go with you. As I carry, as you carry out that Great Commission, lo, I will be with you always. And in Philippians which we love to quote and say, God, Christ has promised to supply all my needs. He says, but even as you carry out that great commission and you give to see that the gospel goes around the world, I will supply all your needs. Both of those tied to carrying out the great commission. Thank you, brother, for doing such a fantastic job of walking us through that. Let's all stand together. We're going to have a brief invitation. You're here this morning, and God's spoken to your heart. We want to give you an opportunity Uh, to respond to that. We want to give you an opportunity uh, to do whatever the the Lord has commanded you to do. Uh, Maybe God's spoken to your heart this morning about your own relationship. You realize that you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that you need to, and perhaps today is the day that you need to step out and settle that account today. Maybe today is the day that you need to come spend some time here at the altar because God's spoken to your heart about some neighbor, some friend, some relative of yours that uh, you need to be a witness to. Or maybe God's laid on your heart, this is where he wants you to serve. He wants you to be a part of this local church. And we invite you to come. Brother James is going to be here. If you uh, need to come, we'd invite you to come right now. Jesus, I surrender all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. Oh.
Christmas for you. All to Jesus I surrender humbly at his feet I bow worldly pleasures all forsaken take me Jesus take me now I surrender I surrender you can be seated. Ushers, you come. Let's receive our offering. I'll be talking about the faith promise cards in just a moment. Don't put your faith promise card in the offering plate. We're going to be bringing them to the front in just a few moments, and we'll talk about that. Let's bow for a word of prayer and uh, bless our offering. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. We realize that What we have in this life, we can only attribute to you. It's not because of our goodness. It's because of your grace. We thank you for what you've given into our hands as stewards. And we ask, Lord, today that you'd help us to be faithful in returning to you a portion of that which you've given to us. Thank you for these faithful people, their faithfulness to give to this local church, their faithfulness to give to missions. Lord, increase our vision and help us, Lord, to see this world as you see it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.